We begin with a word of prayer. Almighty Father, your Son, Jesus Christ, has conquered the grave when you raised him from the dead and promised us life and salvation in his name. We pray this day, O Lord, that as we hear your word, that you would grant us your Holy Spirit so that our hearts would be enlivened by faith and that we would go forth proclaiming your glories to the whole creation. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. He is risen. He is risen Alleluia. But you know, not everybody thinks that's true. Not everybody actually believes Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Despite the fact that we have the eyewitness accounts of seeing Jesus after he's risen from the dead, despite uh, the testimony of those who were there, who saw him, who ate with them, uh, who heard him speak, who touched him, uh, despite the fact that there were those who went forth willing to lay down their lives for this truth that Christ had risen from the dead, there are those who still do not believe. If you're among those and you would like to have a conversation about that at some point, uh, please contact me. I would love, lunch is on me, I'll, I'll buy everything. Uh, but I would love to take you out and discuss this stuff a little bit more with you. But you got to understand, if you don't believe Jesus is risen from the dead, you're not alone. There's a lot of people who don't believe Jesus is risen. I mean, look at the women that morning when Jesus did rise from the dead. They didn't think he was going to be alive. They went to the tomb expecting to find a corpse. That's why they took with them burial spices. They were going to anoint the body of this man that they had followed and that they had loved and that they had served. They were expecting to find him lying there in the tomb. You see, they'd seen him die on Good Friday. They watched him die a brutal death on that cross. And when he died, he took with them all of their hope. That morning, no hope was left. They went to that tomb full of despair because as far as they were concerned, Jesus was dead. God is dead. Or so said Friedrich Nietzsche, the great 19th century atheistic philosopher who came forward to announce that God himself is dead. Now, I want to focus in a little bit on that today, because of course Nietzsche is another one of these people who does not believe that Jesus Christ is risen. And I want to focus in on his concept there that God is dead, because it is kind of a strange thing for an atheist to say. If you don't believe in God, how could this thing you don't believe in actually die? But you've got to do a little bit of work here. We're going to get a little heady this morning, and so you will forgive me for this. Uh, but you've got to do a little work here to try and figure out what Nietzsche was talking about. When Nietzsche said God was dead, he was not making this claim that there was some almighty being out in the universe somewhere uh, that had gotten into a car accident or who had actually expired or something like this. What Nietzsche meant was, we have come to a point in history now where we no longer need God. We figured our way out of him. We have now technology, we now have philosophy, we now have ideas and the ability to understand our world apart from God. So we don't need him anymore. Besides, we've never seen him, we've never watched him, we've never touched him or eaten with him. Therefore, we don't have to pretend he's around anymore. Nietzsche says God is dead, he remains dead, and we have killed him. Now, he understood, Nietzsche was no optimist here, he understood uh, the consequences of such a claim. 
He knew that he lived in a world that was built on the idea that there was a God and this God had created the universe and God had given it order and purpose and design. God had created morality. God had created uh, laws. God had created future and God had created hope. And we have all sort of built our society on these things. So to say that God is dead is going to take the foundation out from under everything. And so Nietzsche writes, how will we comfort ourselves? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? In other words, with God dead, it's now up to us to be our own gods. Since there is now no creator, we are in charge of creating our own world and creating everything around us the way that we want it to be. We're in charge of creating our own morality, our own ideas, our own future, and our own hope. But as we look around, we know everything is kind of falling apart. So since there is no God, it's up to us to set things right. Not only do we need to be our own creators, we need to be our own saviors. Everything now is up to you. And Nietzsche would say we've all basically become Atlas now. You remember Atlas, right? The guy who has to carry the whole world on the back of his shoulders and he can't drop it lest everything fall apart. We've all become our own Atlas. Everything is up to you. You get to create your world. You get to create your reality. You get to create your own destiny. And this sounds actually rather inspiring and somewhat exciting, especially if you put it to like a nice tune like John Lennon did with Imagine, and you have this great atheist hymn, Imagine There's No Heaven, Easy If You Try, No Hell Below Us, Above Us Only Sky. Imagine all the people living for today, living for themselves, working hard to save the world on your terms. You get to, you get to define your world and your destiny. It is all up to you. Inspiring on paper, so you can try and actually live that out. And it leaves you crushed between the weight of the despair that it produces. Good gracious, Pastor. Can't we just sing some hymns? I mean, sheesh. None of us came here today for a bleak lecture on 19th century atheistic philosophy. That's a little bleak for us. And I thought I was going to be the bleak one, but then one of you said Hannibal Lecter in the children's message, so I didn't feel so bad anymore. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. But look, I think it's actually important for us to think about these things today. Because right now, this sort of thinking, this sort of thinking has sort of darkened the world. And the storm cloud of such thinking has infiltrated everything around us. Certainly people aren't just blatantly walking around saying God is dead. Well, I suppose some people are, but, but not a lot of people are walking around saying God is dead, we're all atheists, and everything is up to us. And yet, there's a lot of people saying that everything is up to us. Everything depends on us. And I mean, we're talking the big questions now. And if we want to establish justice and work against in, the evils of injustice in this world, it's all up to us. If we want to save the environment, it's all up to us. If you want to overcome a pandemic, it is all up to you. What's more, not only is it up to us to save this world, but now it's also up to us to create our own world. Where we're coming to the point in our way of thinking now that says, listen, you get to define your own reality. You get to define your, your creation around you. You get to define what kind of person you want to be. You get to define if you are a person at all. It's all up to you. You define your reality. And not just with the big, profound, philosophical questions. 
But we're living like this even in our own everyday lives. Not many of us really still believe that God gives us this day our daily bread. My life, my job, my health, my family, all of it depends upon me. And we have basically created a world for ourselves where we are, uh, in fact, Atlas. Bearing the brunt of the world on our shoulders. Creating it and believing that we have to save it too. But of course, this is, a, this is a fool's errand to think that we can be the savior of the world because the more and more we try and save the world, the worse and worse it gets. The more we try and impose our will and our ideals and ourselves upon the world, which is a very selfish and self-serving thing to do, we find that the world gets worse and worse. We actually call this sin. So we're living now in this darkness, and it would seem as if there is no way out. Because we believe God is dead. And so the women went to the tomb in the darkness of that morning, and they were crushed by the weight of a shattered world upon their shoulders, for Jesus was dead, and as far as they were concerned, God should have been dead too. Because all of their hopes and all of their dreams died with Jesus. And they saw him die Friday night. When he was nailed to that bloody cross and he hung there dying and praying but found no relief. They heard his cries when he cried out things like, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Looking back, you have to wonder, what good is that? What good is forgiveness? What good is mercy and love and compassion and kindness if it only ends up leading to a cross? What we need is power. Mercy just seems to leave people dead. They heard him cry out, they saw him die, they watched where he was taken, they saw his body taken off the cross, and they followed as it was laid in the tomb, and they watched the stone rolled in front of the tomb. That's how they knew where to go that next morning, that Easter morning, because they knew where the tomb was. And now, well, they didn't know now. They didn't know what to do now. They didn't know what was next. All that was left was to go to the tomb. But even then, going to the tomb and removing that stone, it seemed that everything was now up to them. They even had to remove the stone, and they weren't sure how they were going to do it. The stone was too big. You can't just roll those things away. They're very heavy. Everything looked impossible. Jesus was dead. Everything was dark. And it seemed as if there was no hope. But then, apart from any work of theirs, apart from any work of ours, the sun started rising. St. Mark records very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. Turns out, it wasn't up to them. Removing that stone, it wasn't up to them at all. Somebody else did it. But now as they approach the tomb, they're starting to wonder, what's going on? Who's done this? Who's removed the stone? Who, where's Jesus? What have they done with Jesus? What's going on? And so they run into the tomb. And as they approach the tomb in the light of that Easter morning, and they looked, they found even brightness from within the tomb. Again, St. Mark records that in entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. You see the place where they laid him? But go, 
tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And there, in, in the sunlight of that Easter morning, the women who went hopeless had their hope restored, but in a far stronger and more powerful and profound way than they could have ever hoped or imagined. For Jesus was dead, but now he is risen. He is risen indeed. And this doesn't mean that Jesus just pulled off a pretty incredible magic trick when he was crucified on the cross and then found a way out of the whole thing. What it means is, is that Jesus has conquered the grave. He's not just resuscitated, he is resurrected, which means he has come back to life eternally, never to die again. And he has done so in a manner that brings us a great deal of hope. The resurrection of Jesus means any number of things. It means that the weight of the world was not upon the backs of these women any longer. Nothing depended on them. The resurrection of Jesus means that this world does not depend on you. For in conquering the grave, Jesus has begun this work of resurrection. And I want to talk a little bit, again, I said there's a lot of different implications about this. But there's at least two that I really want to dial us in on here this morning that I think are very important for us to think about. There's two implications, we might say two gifts, uh, that come to us from this resurrection. The first is that in rising from the dead, Jesus is declaring that he has conquered sin and evil. And then second, in rising from the dead, Jesus is promising that he is restoring all things and he will make all things new. So let's look at these two things. First, that the resurrection means that Jesus has overcome the sin of the world. See, you can't understand the resurrection of Jesus apart from the death of Jesus. Good Friday and Easter Sunday, these two things go together. And when we think about the cross, we have to understand this, that it was not an accident. I love Jim's children's message this morning. One, because we had a children's message in the sanctuary. That was a lot of fun. Thank God for that. But also, that here everything was going according to plan. This was God's way of dealing with the sin of the world. Good Friday, the cross. There on the cross, Jesus died for the sins of the world. And see, here's what you have to understand, and we, we mentioned this a moment ago, is that this world is, is in turmoil, this world is falling apart because of sin. And sin is rebellion against the Creator. And sin does damage to everything around it. And the reality is, is that we are culpable in this. Our sin contributes to that. But we are partially responsible for all the things that we see going on in this world because of our own sinfulness. And because these things are going on, since we have worked against the will of God, our sin is against Him. And to sin against God is to deserve judgment. It is to deserve death and condemnation. But this is what Good Friday is all about. God, whose mercy triumphs over his justice, decides to send Jesus into the world and the Son of God puts on our flesh so that he might go to the cross to pay for our sins, to incur the penalty that we deserve. The weight of the world is placed on Jesus' shoulders and it bears down upon him as he hangs on the cross, suffering and dying for the sins of all humanity offering up his life and shedding his blood as a sacrifice for sin. 
So that in rising from the dead on Easter morning, when God raises Jesus up from the dead, what the Father is saying is the sacrifice was enough. Jesus paid it all. The, 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 the death of Jesus was sufficient to pay for your sins. All sins are paid for and all sinners are now forgiven. That's why, because Jesus is risen from the dead, I can stand here before you this morning with this great resurrection proclamation that Jesus died for you and Jesus rose for you and your sins are the sins that are forgiven. You are forgiven in the eyes of God. Which means your relationship to God is not defined by what you have done wrong. Your relationship to God is not defined by judgment for your sins. It's defined by Jesus, who loves you and sacrificed everything for you. Your relationship to God is defined by His forgiveness and His mercy. St. Paul says it this way, There is now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. And just think about that for a second. That as you stand now before God, forgiven by Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for you before God. Think of the freedom that promise gives you as you live your life. You are now free from having to try and earn the love of God. What's more, you are now free from having to try and save the world because Jesus has done it already. You are free from condemnation. You're free now to go out into the world and not view it as a burden that you have to bear. But rather, the world for you is a gift. It is a field of play where you run and dance and laugh and work and love and serve and sacrifice without fear of condemnation. And I mean, it sounds pretty idealistic, and the reality is that we will still experience the vestiges of sin which will hang on to us as we go forth. But we do so knowing that those sins are not stronger than the word of Jesus Christ, and that you have a relationship with your Father defined by His promise that says, I forgive you, and I love you, and you are mine. And He gives us this world back in the freedom of that forgiveness. And that's how we live then until, you know, Christ returns. And this then leads into our next great gift from the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus means that the whole creation will be made new. It will be restored. The whole creation will be, in a sense, resurrected and freed from death. When Jesus rises from the dead, he promises that he is going to make all things right. So that when he comes out of that grave, he does not come with the command that says, you must ha work hard to make this world a better place. Now, to be sure, you are called to care for the creation as it is given to you and to love and to serve where God has placed you. But the truth is, until Christ comes again, we will still be uh, fighting and wrestling with sin and with the devil and with uh, the world and all sorts of things that want to oppose God and his will. What you need to understand is this, is that those things that oppose God and His work, because Jesus is risen, their days are numbered. And Jesus is coming again. He who has ascended to heaven will return, and He will make all things new. And the creation, which now is, is groaning under the darkness and the weight of sin, will start singing in the light of God's eternal love. 
And being forgiven of your sins means that there is nothing that will keep you from going into that new creation. There is nothing that will prevent you from entering into God's loving presence for all of eternity because anything that would prevent you from getting there has been conquered by Jesus Christ. Even death itself is now temporary. Knowing that you will rise with Jesus Christ and you will live with God in the new heavens and the new earth, singing and rejoicing forever. Christ is risen and your hope is restored, for he will make all things new. This is why, though the women left the tomb that day, frightened by what they'd seen, they would soon have their fear turned to joy. For they would see the truth with their own eyes, that God is not dead, but Jesus is very much alive. And being alive means that you are no longer atlas but you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, a beloved child of the Heavenly Father, and the bright light of Jesus' resurrection has washed out your darkness of despair. Take heart and rejoice. For Nietzsche was wrong. God is not dead. Jesus Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, O Lord that the weight of the world is not upon our shoulders, but that you have promised a new world, that you have given responsibility entirely to Jesus, who has taken our sins and conquered our grave. Grant us faith in your Son, O Lord, and carry us all the way to the day of our own resurrection, when we will see and celebrate with you. We ask all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.